Whether it's running, swimming, cycling, or any other type of endurance test, your mind is usually the first to falter, not your body. What types of mental skills can you apply to your endurance training and competing so that your mind becomes the strongest and not the weakest link? Welcome to the Sports Psychology Of. I'm Gabe Zellico. Today we're discussing the sports psychology of mid-race mental skills. Ryan Teagan joins the discussion with experience both as an endurance athlete and as a sports psychology consultant. With five years of experience in behavioral science, sports psychology, and exercise psychology, Ryan guides teams and individuals towards optimal performance and health. By combining his expertise in psychology with a deep understanding of human behavior and motivation, Ryan identifies key areas where his clients can make meaningful changes to their habits and routines. Through personalized coaching and actionable advice, he strives to empower his clients to achieve their full potential, both on and off the field. Ryan and I go through a variety of mental obstacles and actionable tools to start working into your training and competitions. Thanks for tuning in. Enjoy. How'd you get into sports psychology? Yeah, so I got into sports psychology in kind of this full circle cycle in the sense that I was a college athlete. I was a D3 runner, had no reason to be running at a division three level, even at that time in a pretty small conference. Um, just, you know, I think I made it to state once in high school in a relay and maybe a couple of times in cross country by default. Um, but I found myself in this position where I was like, I really love running. I want to keep going in college. And it was hard. It was a hard balance or kind of getting into the rhythm of, you know, being a full-time college athlete and being a full-time college student. And my freshman year of track, I remember burning out and I dropped out of pretty much every single race. And I didn't really know why, you know, my workouts were okay. They weren't great. Um, but I also had some just on top of being a full-time student, I also had some relationship things on the side that were going through. So I talked to my coach, coach sent me to a counselor and we really started thinking about confidence and burnout. And that really opened my eyes, but it wasn't necessarily the full picture I was looking for. Cause we were just looking at confidence as being like a, as a person, not necessarily as running. And I was really looking for something more sport oriented, sport specific. And it wasn't necessarily something my coach knew how to train me in either. So I found myself looking for the space in between the two. Um, and unfortunately it's a gray space, but there is a space in between. And I found myself reading the champions mind by Jim Afro, which now thinking about full circle, I actually just taught a class going through that book study um, which is a, a really cool thing to think about. But that book really opened my eyes about the importance of good mental training, not just, you know, your stereotypical, your casual, oh, you got to be mentally tougher. It's like, mm -hmm. how do you actually train this as a muscle? Like, how do you train your brain to push through some of those hard situations? Um, and from there, I mean, I created my own mental training program to help build my confidence. It was really just one, learning how to stay present and also just journaling my wins throughout the week. Even I should note that at the same time, I was also going through um, iron deficiency. 
So it was a little bit of rehab psychology in there too, where I was just trying to journal my wins during the week and really trying to keep that that competitive mentality going when I was just on a bike for an hour to two hours at a time um, over that summer. So after that season, I, I pretty much had what I consider a breakout season. I never touched the uh, times that I hit for cross country that fall. Um, I never touched anything like that again after that initial session, but that's what really drew me into sports psychology, um, even as something that you only do for a season, right? Of just really being intentional about taking care of your mental and emotional health for, I think I did it for about five months where I did, where I journaled and meditated every day in that sense. Uh, and at the time I was going into school for physical therapy, but I decided to shift gears once I saw that sports psychology was an actual field that you could jump into. Um, and I kind of added a psychology minor or psychology minor on top of it and then got into grad school after I graduated at JFK. Yet another uh, patient zero story where you realize, oh, I needed this. Look how much it helped me. Why is this not more commonplace, right? Yeah, yeah. And I think that's hard because there's people that have a patient zero story that goes really well or not so well. Um, and I think my combination was a little bit of both where you're just being curious about, you know, what am I actually looking for here um, and doing good work in that space. Uh because I know that people don't always find people that do good work. Uh, unfortunately, it is something that you have to look out for. Some people just sell snakes oil. Uh, whether they do call themselves like a mind expert or mind coach, and it's somebody that just had a patient zero story without the educational background behind it. Yeah. Yeah. And they're just kind of going off their experience, not the science. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned you were a runner. That's kind of your sport, it sounds like. And I'm excited to talk about race, mid-race mental skills, because although I'm mainly a hockey guy in the background, I or in my background, I also ran cross-country and track in high school. And yeah. funny enough, I just moved to Portland, Oregon a couple weeks ago, and it is just runners central here. I see them everywhere I go. So it's so funny being being surrounded by that demographic again. So great timing for this <laughs> episode. And uh, so, yeah, we're talking about mid-race mental skills and what i want to do is just go through a lot of obstacles that really any athlete in endurance sports face in a typical race whether it's um kind of a shorter on the shorter endurance race or one of the ultras and even if you're not an endurance athlete listening to this i still think these skills that we are going to discuss are relatively easy to apply to any sport especially if it's just the middle of performance is really what we're talking about so let's start off with this first obstacle of the common thing that we think about, I think, when we think of the mental struggles mid-race is that lack of motivation or just that fatigue getting in the way of being able to push harder because maybe you're not hitting your splits or you're not on pace or someone's passing you and you need to step it up a little bit. Um, kind of talk me through that obstacle. Do you see that a lot in your runners? Is that something everybody faces or... Yeah, I would say it's something that even if it's an unconscious thing, if we don't necessarily know what that defense mechanism is, we're all going to experience some sort of negative self-talk. And I don't necessarily like to use the phrase negative self-talk. I, I like to think of this, whether it's helpful or unhelpful. Yeah, me too. 
um, of like that negative behavioral momentum of us just like physically shutting down in the middle of a race, or we're using our self-talk to build ourselves up. Um, and the first step that I really take when thinking about mid-race mental skills is looking at it proactively uh, because our negative self-talk is a way that we're communicating with our body, right? So negative self-talk comes from the sense of internal resources that we might have. Think of them as buckets. And those buckets can either be mental or physical. So if we're not fueling ourselves physically, right, we're going to hit that wall whether it is in a marathon, whether it is in a half marathon, or even just in a 5K, we're going to hit that wall a lot easier if we're not feeling ourselves properly. Uh, but if it's psychological, then we really start to look into saying like, okay, what is your pre-race routine like? You know, even a few days out, are you trying to hype up your confidence? Are you trying to balance things out? Are you trying to are you really focus on the stress management side of things going into a race? If not, let's start there. But if the race, if everything is purely mid race, then I really like to start looking at the geography of the course that they're running and seeing, okay, what kind of obstacles are we physically facing here? Mm. And then trying to train that back into practice. I think it, one thing that maybe we don't talk about in sports psychology enough is the fit principle when it comes to mental training, right? Trying to use our self-talk as a way to almost use a GPS to kind of guide us over like physical obstacles in force. So, I mean, GRIAC is this weekend for most college, for a lot of colleges up in the upper Midwest where I'm at. Um, and I remember running that race and just saying, Oh, you know what? These Hills are absolutely garbage and I don't know how to get over them mentally, but I know how to get over them physically. If only we knew how to fuel some of that physical behavioral momentum up a Hill you know, people would run easily a minute faster or at least 30 seconds faster. Uh, so I really like to think of that in terms of, okay, how do we build ourselves up in those moments that we might feel like we're losing motivation or feel like we're shutting down? And one skill that I'll teach in there is just how to be present under pressure. And I think people think of that as, you know, you have to be some Buddhist monk sitting on the side of a mountain for three hours a day, and if they have that that notion or maybe that bias going into a session when we're talking about that, I have them do one simple exercise. Take their thumb and put it on their knee and focus on it for two minutes. And that's the only thing you're going to focus on for the next two minutes. And then we have a conversation around that because I'm staring at them just like we are now. I'm staring at them for that two minutes with a, you know, with a timer running. And that's performance under pressure and that's staying present under pressure. And if they don't know how to do that for two minutes, how is someone going to do that for, you know, 15 to 20 minutes in a 5k or a 10k or even just an entire ultra uh, marathon where somebody's out in the mountains. Can you speak about the reasons why it's not good for performance to be, to be outside of the present? So in thinking in the past or thinking in the future, what does that do to a lot of people's mental game and performance? Yeah, so there's a lot of good research that shows that situational awareness, just for one, is performance enhancing. What do I mean by that? Just knowing and understanding where you're running, like the actual geography of the course that you're running at. If you don't know how to take advantage and be present of, say, a downhill stretch that you're using and you don't know how to open up, 
you're literally just holding yourself back from hitting a PR, <laughs> you know, if it's like a downhill stretch, or if you know that, you know, you're going to have this uphill stretch, that's going to be for quite a while, and you're not slowing down to kind of manage some of that energy you're using, you know, you're not in for a good time. Or if you didn't train yourself for that, you're not in for a good time. And maybe you're trying to take in the runners around you, what they're doing. You have teammates that are basically just teammates, coaches that the, the geography of the race, again, this is all information that is effective to process so that you can respond more effectively. And so when you're outside of the present, there's information you're just simply not processing that is going to lead to just lowered performance that is lower than your potential. Right. You're right. You might be overstimulated or you may just be shutting down. And yeah. I think it depends on the person and just their history with performance and maybe a little bit of mid-race performance anxiety too. Uh, but it's something to think about. And I, I think about that a lot too. You ever watch a coach who is just screaming at the top of their lungs of just saying, relax, relax, drop the yeah. shoulders. It, it's it's hard to watch, uh, you know, as somebody who was a college athlete who saw that in other coaches, but then also saw it from a sports psychology perspective. And you see these coaches, and you go, what are you doing? Like you are stressing your athletes out. Like they are not stressed because of the race. They're stressed out because of you at this point, you know, in that little moment that's just adding to their cognitive load and shutting them out even more. Um, I want to go back to something you mentioned earlier of the proactive part of handling mid-race obstacles. And I think that's mm -hmm. important because although we're going to be talking about ways to make use of your brain to enhance your performance in the middle of the race, some of that, maybe a lot of that comes in training before the race. So one thing I wanted to talk about is, do you see some type of goal setting activity as being a way that we can enhance our focus and motivation in the middle of a race by maybe reframing thoughts in the sense of the goals that we're trying to hit kind of understanding how we can be motivated through those goals. Do you ever touch on goal setting? Cause I know goal setting is kind of controversial. Some people swear by it. Some people think it's absurd and actually has a lot of performance detriments. Where do you see goal setting in the proactive or just spontaneous use of mid-race mental skills? Yeah, that's a good question. So I'm still hit or miss with goals. I'll be fully honest. I don't use smart goals. Um, I like to think of them more as flex goals of when I'm working with athletes of like, realistically, what are they okay hitting for a PR? Um, you know, if they feel like it's unrealistic, like we'll talk, I'll talk to him about that. But really when I go into, when I'm working with athletes who want to try and hit a PR, um, you know, I really start to think about confidence and preparation, which is something that my coach taught me and what my supervisor and I talked about and confidence through preparation means a million different things. We're thinking about resources, right? Psychological resources. It could just be showing up to practice, right? If you're consistent, if you're getting your work in, if you're getting good sleep, you're feeling yourself, like you're doing all the little things, right? You're going to have a PR. If you feel like going back to geography thing and situational awareness, if you don't know the race that you're running, if you don't know the landscape of what, you know, maybe a potential advantage or disadvantage might be on the course, you're setting yourself back. So for some athletes, if it's like a brand new course and they feel like they're fit, 
what I'll do is we'll look for maps online and we'll visualize the course and we'll try to see what does it feel like to get through, you know, mile one, two, and three. And we'll practice that. And from there, we'll kind of see, we'll kind of get like a rough sketch mentally of their self-talk. And we'll see what points they really need to focus in and dial in on using helpful self-talk or psychological behavioral momentum to really help build them forward at those moments. It's funny you mentioned imagery and visualization. I wanted to talk about that next. So this strikes me as a mental skill that is just essential for doing before races because it's once you have it down, it's relatively easy and can be very effective to help you feel more prepared, which will lead to more mm -hmm. confidence. But I want to talk about maybe how we can use imagery and visualization mid-race. Does that is that something you ever coach your athletes in or is it really tied to before races? I think there is some benefit to it, but it depends on what skill you're using it for, right? Like what's the outcome of the imagery that, what's the outcome of the picture that you want to paint with somebody? Um, I know there's quite a bit of research out there of, you know, especially in like baseball and the yips where you're, where you're having this picture of yourself watching yourself playing baseball as you're playing baseball, that's, performance debilitating right but if you're working with an athlete and i think i can use a personal example for this um when i say like behavioral momentum and using your self-talk to really build yourself up in a race um i went to school right next to lake michigan and working next to working out next to lake michigan was a beautiful thing not only like physically and good for your health but also just having a good image to use because we could watch the waves roll in all day long while we're building hills. And that was a good image to really help build some of that momentum, light, right? Like thinking about these surges that you're going through and using those mental surges to kind of help keep you going. Even if it's like a hill or you're on the back end of an 8K, you know, you hit mile four and you still have that 0.8 to go. That's something that you can use to have a positive outcome. Um, and I think sometimes it's restructuring or reshaping an image to help a person out, to really tailor that need to their ability to visualize things. Um, you know, they might have this image of a conversation they have with their coach 10 years ago of telling them they weren't a sprinter at the end and they couldn't kick. Mm -hmm you know, thinking about what the outcome of that image is and if it's helpful or not, that's part of the self-talk process. It's, it's acknowledging that that might've been helpful at some point in their, in their life or in their uh, athletic history, but it's not anymore in this moment. Those are such good examples of how we can boost motivation and effort through imagery. And I'm wondering if there is a different way to use imagery in a way to strategize and basically plan for this next mile or plan for getting around a racer in front of you um do you do you sense imagery can be useful in that sense or is it maybe a bit more useful in the uh way we're just talking about it yeah i think of it as a way to orient yourself to like visual spatial processing so I coached cross country for a little bit with a team that was out here as part of my internship. And one thing that I picked up on from, from a coach out here actually is that, you know, sometimes athletes don't need 
motivation from a coach, sometimes they need directions <laughs> as funny as it sounds, but just telling them, you know, almost being like a GPS of just saying, Hey, in this next mile, there's going to be like three Hills, you know, you can slow it back. It's okay. Cause you're going to make up ground if you do. Um, and I think that's really important imagery to keep in mind too, of just being realistic with your expectations going into a race. Let's talk about something that probably everybody listening, if they're a racer, an endurance athlete of some kind, they're familiar with it, experiencing performance or injury pain mid-race. And performance pain is basically just that good expected pain. So it's not necessarily that you have an injury, but it's just uh, your your typical runner's or biker's pain that you feel when you're pushing your body. Injury pain is a bit different. That's when something, maybe a nagging injury is flaring up or something happened and you can't really continue as well in proper form because you maybe are struggling with an actual injury. Regardless of the pain, how do you help? I mean, you probably see this all the time in you needing to help your athletes on this mental side of mm -hmm. managing pain mid-race. What are some of your go-to techniques there? Yeah, I think a really powerful conversation to have with athletes around mid-race pain, whether it is physical or just, you know, sports specific is talking to them about acceptance versus resignation, right? If it's an injury and if it feels like it's going to hold them back, you know, from competing for the rest of the season, like it's okay to drop out for that race, right? If it's like a legitimate medical issue, like go see the athletic trainer. It's okay to do that, right? It's better to do that than to not be able to run at state or regionals or even nationals because you tried to gut through something that you maybe not, that wasn't necessarily the most important race of your life. Um, and in terms of acceptance, you know, physiologically, when we're running 5K, we're running three to five miles, like all out, it's going to hurt. If it's not hurting, you're not running hard enough. You know, you're not reaching your potential. Um, so I think in that sense, when we talk about like radical acceptance and acknowledging that that pain is sport specific and just saying, it's okay, you know, let this pass. It's okay to feel pain. I think that's the thing that I hate about cultural mental toughness. It's like, you can't feel pain at all. No, you can't. <laughs> it's okay. It's, it's a part of the process, it's, but it's about how you respond to the pain, not, not avoiding yeah. the pain. Yeah, good athletes zone out, great athletes zone in. So acknowledging that that pain is going to be there and being able to say, okay, like this is just part of the race, right? I'm still okay. I'm checking in with my body. You know, it, it hurts, it sucks, but this pain is going to pass as soon as those, that adrenaline kicks in. Kind of surfing over those waves and those floods of, of pain and managing it and understanding that it's gonna subside it's not something that's going to be there forever um and that self-talk we might that is associated that we might try to ruminate with that so things last longer than really the physical pain is right the mental side of it is going to last so much longer than the physical pain that we're going through what about zoning in on the pain i can see this being a double-edged sword of because i know there's a lot of research in pain can actually be dampened. You feel less pain if you put your full attention on it. However, mm -hmm. this is all, I mean, I know that this could backfire where people might 
it, people might feel it exacerbate and get worse because they are, maybe it's just as a result of thinking more about it and the results of maybe it producing more anxiety. Um, so is that, is that a, a method you would recommend to your athletes in managing pain or, uh, let's, let's get really to the performance pain of like, all right, so this is, this is expected. This is something that can fuel me. It's, um, something that everybody else is dealing with. It's, there's a lot of reframing going on. Is there any, anything else other than reframing? So again, zoning in or any other tools that you might recommend training athletes in to manage this? Yeah, I will teach athletes about the RPE scale. Yes, love this. And what I'll do is typically, if that's the thing we're focusing on in our coaching sessions, I will teach them about RPE and I'll use mindfulness in there because there's a lot of good research in the health psychology field that mindfulness helps reduce perceived effort or reduction of perceived effort because it's helping you get through some of those mental and those physical and mental waves of pain right? Especially it's really beneficial in um, cancer patients, diabetics, people that are just starting to exercise. You know, if you think about a lot of JV high school cross country runners, it's their first experience with running sometimes. And this is a skill that people can really dig into to help them out. Um, so I'll teach them about this to the RPE scale. And as we're going along with their training, and if they're you know, they're, they're learning how to listen to their body. I'll ask them, do you feel like your ability to tolerate pain is increased? And it's really helping them start to see the growth and the confidence that they have in themselves to say, oh, you know what? Like maybe two weeks ago, I would have rated this as like a, a 10 or an 11 on the RPE scale, but now it's an eight. I can push so much more. And right? if can... they and if you didn't kind of challenge them to have that awareness of this is actually an eight rather than a 10 or 11, like it was, then it might constantly feel like a 10 or 11, should they not become aware of it. And this is how exactly. that awareness part can enhance performance by helping your awareness of, I don't actually feel like I'm exerting as much effort, which means I feel better. And again, it just goes back to that will increase confidence. Exactly. Exactly. It's all about resources, right? Internal or external. Um, and it's just one way of trying to fill that bucket up as much as you can. Let me ask you about comparison. Do you find this as a common mental obstacle that endurance athletes are going through either, either in their training or mid race of getting too caught up in comparing themselves to other athletes, whether it's athletes on their team or opponents? Um, where, where do you see comparison mixed into these obstacles? Yeah, I would say I don't see it as much with the population that I work with just because they are a little bit older. I will say that sometimes I have to have a conversation about comparing their data on a day-to-day -day basis. I work with quite a few uh, triathletes too, and I've had some that want to come into every session with every heart rate, you know, every stat that they can pull, you know, whether it's their sleep, whether it's their heart rate. And I think those those have their merits there are tools that you can definitely use but if that's all they're solely focusing on to me that says that they don't have a lot of body awareness they're just focusing on the data and they're trying to compare their data compared to somebody else like you know you can think about galen when he was in his prime and how let's run did a um let's run did a 
interview with him talking about how his heart rate never went over 150 while he was doing marathon training. Okay, that's cool. But he's also a full-time professional athlete with Olympic silver medal behind his name. Um, and I think a bronze behind it too now. Uh, but let's talk about this person in front of us. You know, realistically, I really like to bring it down to realism. And I don't necessarily like to smash their ego. I kind of give them like that gentle fall of saying, okay, so you've run X, Y, Z time and you're trying to hit, I don't know, T. Do you feel like that's a good full step up from where you're at right now to try and go for, or do we have to hit lower? You know, and if we're thinking about flow, it's trying to manage that task challenge balance, right? And trying to find what that space in between for that person is to find their flow. And that's where I really try to like dial them into um, of just saying, okay, this real, this expectation or this comparison is unrealistic. Where are you going to find flow and joy in the sport that you're doing with a goal that, you know, something that we might be able to strive for? I want to talk about focus. And we've been talking about focus really this whole time, but I kind of want to hone in on focus. And one way that I think endurance athletes can improve their focus is taking it down from this big, like thinking about the whole race in, in, in its entirety, and then breaking it down into chunks. This is a popular, um, popular method used by endurance athletes, kind of breaking down to like, all right, I'm just going to focus on this mile. I'm not going to think about the rest of the the rest of this race because that's overwhelming. Is that something that you find useful that you use commonly or can I just get your thoughts there? Yeah. So that's a great question. I think that's really important for runners too, because that can be make or break with any athlete. Right. And especially when we're thinking about where their focus is, we're talking about where their energy is, right. Where their nerves are. Um, I had one athlete that I worked with at some point who is in a pretty high level high school runner already. And his big goal was just to try and break 15 minutes. And one thing that we started focusing in on was just learning how to change your focus in those moments where you really do have to dial in. So, I mean, cross country is a beautiful sport of thinking about focus, because if you think of the start line, most of the time you're looking a hundred yards down and there's a big forest in front of you. And sometimes it's just helping those athletes look at a tree and not the whole forest. And I'll ask those athletes, what's that tree for you? And sometimes that tree might be like a physical landmark that they're focusing in on. It could be a person in front of them that they're trying to manage their energy so that they can just make their way up to. Or it could just be a sensation that they're feeling. So like their feet hitting the ground. It could be their arms swinging. It could just be even their breathing. Uh, those are all focus strategies that athletes can use to improve their concentration during a race. You ever find athletes saying like, yeah, Ryan, I've tried like focusing on my breath or focusing on that landmark during my races, but it, it I just go back to thinking these performance damaging thoughts, the ineffective self-talk. I just keep going back to that. It's this stuff isn't really helping. Do you find that common at all with athletes you work with? Sometimes, sometimes I would say if they really want to focus in on breathing, let's look at their breathing mechanics, right? Because it could be if their breathing is, is, not efficient 
if they're just kind of going into the shallow panting at the end of a race. I used to do it. I used to, when I would go into a kick, I know I always did it in high school where I kind of turned into a weed, like the penguin from Toy Story. And that was kind of the imagery that I have in my head. I was nervous. I was shout, I was panting. It was, you know, trying to kick as hard as I could. Um, but then I heard a really cool story from, it was actually uh, Steve Magnus and uh, Magnus and Marcus's podcast where they were talking about how Bowerman would have his athletes just do deep breathing at, before they were about to kick to kind of reset their system. And I thought that was genius. And that was ahead of Bowerman was ahead of his time in that sense. Um, so, I mean, that's one thing to think about is just, you know, there's the mindfulness perspective, but then there's also the physiological perspective that's happening too. of just saying, okay, maybe your breathing mechanics are off and that stress response is triggering a thought or an emotion that's associated with stress in the situation that might be putting you back. Let's focus on resetting your mechanics in that moment. It's just like anything with form, right? With running, it's anything with form. Uh, I think if they're trying to focus in on something else, like whether it is focusing on a tree or even the feeling of their feet hitting the ground, maybe we just have to practice it a little bit more. Maybe that's something they have to do in training where they might find a, a target on a run you know, that's why I love like free falling fart licks where there's no intervals. You just go and you have one point that you're going to focus on for that entire time. Maybe you don't even wear a watch, but you're just focusing on that moment. And that's a good place to, and a good space to practice flow during running too, outside of a performance perspective. Great point of like needing to make sure that the mechanics of what you're focusing on is helpful and effective. So the breath is really easy to point out there. We've been talking a lot about reframing perspective on the pain, the race comparison, all these different things. I think that's one of my favorite anchors to lead athletes to is just constantly reframing. And I want to, so you mentioned we need to make sure these athletes are training this mental skill of reframing or focusing on the right thing. And my question would be what, at what point do you send athletes in a different direction of this mental skill isn't working for you because clearly you've trained it. You're still finding that it's not really helpful. It's not resonating with you. At what point do you say like, okay, you know what? I think you've given this a try. It's time for us to try something else. Yeah, I think that's a good question. Um, and I really think it depends on where they are in their stages of change behaviorally. Um, I think if they have, really tried to if they're stuck in preparation and they're trying a different bunch of different stuff out okay you know I, I don't have any like guilt in saying okay maybe we should try something else but if it's a, a maintenance thing or if they're in an action stage of trying to you know use this one tool in their training and it's not working you know it's okay to take a step back um, or it's okay to try something different and just, you know, just taking a break from that one skill. Um, sometimes it's journaling, but I think it's also important to think about like consistency. And usually if it's a habit like journaling, I'll give them, you know, six weeks to really see if it's helpful or if they start to notice a difference. I want to, I, I love journaling. I think it's such a yeah. great skill to learn about yourself and what makes you the best athlete possible. So I want to spend some time talking about journaling. So I'll just kind of leave it 
open-ended to you. Um, how do you train your athletes in journaling, whether it's before or after races? Yeah. So I think it depends on what you're using journaling for. It's kind of like imagery in that perspective, right? It's mm -hmm. a blank slate. Uh, sometimes I'll give them props to really focus in on. Sometimes we'll use it for, I call it plan panicking. It's really just stimulus control. Um, sometimes I'll use it for radical acceptance. Um, and I should go back. So stimulus control, when we're thinking about that, it, it is plan panicking and it's writing down all of your, everything and everything, just brief full of consciousness that you're worried about in that moment. And you don't stop writing for a specific period of time. And the idea there is that the more that you plan this moment of anxiety or panic, the less you're going to be doing it throughout the week, just spontaneously. Are you, are you planning it or are you just kind of free flowing writing about it? Planning it in the sense of putting it on your schedule and saying for this 15 minutes, I'm going to write everything and everything that's going on in my head. Okay. So doing it in that moment. Yeah. 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 But making sure that it's scheduled. Um, and then reflections for journaling. I'll typically give a sheet out about 24 hours after a race, 24 to 48. And I'll tell my athletes, don't think about anything in between now and then. And then just write down this reflection. Because if you give yourself that space to emotionally process everything, a lot of the stuff that came up during the race isn't really going to matter to you in 24 to 48 hours. And then we can realistically start to build expectations or goals to help out whatever whatever it is we're trying to work on in that moment and we can be intentional with our time instead of saying like oh yeah this you know this negative thought kept popping up or it was really loud to me but thinking back on it now it was just kind of silly mm. right so it gives them time to process and think about that thing without me even being there to have that conversation with them yeah that's powerful and different from what i do sometimes is i'd like to instruct my athletes to journal very quickly after practices and competitions, just because like we were talking about that data is fresh. What yeah. went well, what didn't go well, we have, it's a very great accurate perspective rather than, but again, waiting, giving that emotional distance can be really powerful in being more objective in that reflection mm -hmm. and learning more from it rather than maybe feeling the emotions too strongly, especially if it was a, an emotionally charged race. So yeah. it just, this is just a good example of saying, there are a lot of different ways to hone in a journal practice and exactly. there's a good chance that you can find something that works for you. It's, it's not about if journaling works for you. It's about what type of journaling works for you. Yeah. What type of journaling works and what kind of outcome you want out of journaling out of that little notebook in front of you. Mm -hmm. And the outcome that I love journaling for when doing it before competitions is when you put language to your stressors, what you're anxious about, it's in a, it's a way of problem solving and it's a way of creating, it's a way of transferring these worries from this nebulous kind of cloud of worries to concrete in sentences and words that are more tangible. And when something is more tangible, I guess it's more controllable. And when something is more controllable, less anxiety, a bit more optimism and confidence. So I think journaling before, especially to manage performance anxiety, journaling before competitions is such a great tool. Yeah, absolutely. It helps you build that emotional distance, even if it is just a couple of feet in front of you on a desk. Yeah. And it's it's just another form of this proactive way to enhance your mental game in the middle of a race. Yeah. So many, so much of what we talk about is reframing, the a way of 
enhancing your self-talk to boost yourself up as an athlete in some way. And I want to go. So what I like to describe that as is I like to have anchors that we can reframe to. And I think it's important to have several different anchors because some days one of those anchors won't work and you need to have other options because if that, if your tried and true method is not reliable on this day, then you are going to be in a world of panic. So I wanted to probably summarize some of what we were already talking about, but in this, in a couple of minutes, just talk about a lot of different anchors that you think are important for athletes to consider, to kind of build around in ways that they can refocus to when they are in the middle of a competition or race. So let's start with present tense anchors. And we were talking about this mindfulness based anchor of feeling your surroundings, either through the senses or uh, just your really your surroundings. And I guess the vision is just such a powerful part of that. But the other ways is feeling your breath, feeling your feet hit the ground. This is one way that you can, again, these are all responses to catching yourself having ineffective or unhelpful self-talk. So where, how can you help us kind of understand more about the, a way to anchor yourself in the present moment? Yeah. So I think it, it, part of it goes back to that balance of surrender versus resignation versus acceptance. And I'm going to use emotional distance here again, because I think that's such a powerful tool when trying to remain focused, even if it's on an emotion. And I know every, you know, if you think about running, not every run is going to be the same and you're not going to have an ideal, like a rigid, ideal emotional state going into a run. So you have to be able to have different anchors or different skill sets to bring you up or down. I like to think of it as hot and cold water, right? You got to be able to cool yourself off and warm yourself up with those, with some of that. Love it. Uh, and I really love using diffusion as, as one strategy. Uh, but I, when I'm working with like high school and college athletes, I'll usually use a silly voice technique where I'll have them train themselves to change the reframe, the negative self-talk they have to one of their favorite characters. <laughs> like so it, like a be, goofy character or something. Yeah. Like Patrick so Star or SpongeBob. Oh my gosh. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. It changes their emotional state and it builds distance away from that it builds distance away from that negative thought. And it's like, oh yeah, that's kind of silly. Why am I thinking it like that? Yeah, like it undermines the power that this emotionally charged thought did have. Exactly, exactly. Um, I would say that's my big one. And I think that's a good way of gamifying it and building that cognitive appraisal in because I was just reading uh, Barking Up the Wrong Tree by Steve Barker and you were talking about cognitive reappraisal, Mm -hmm. right? And it's the idea that when we were kids, when our parents didn't want us, when our parents were trying to make us eat food, we didn't want to eat it. We, you know, they do, here comes the choo-choo train or here comes the airplane. And that same concept is something that we can use our entire lifespan. Uh, we just have to tailor it to what's developmentally appropriate for us. What about a anchor around a mantra? So this would be a word or a phrase that can kind of speak life into, into your body and your mind of maybe providing some optimism, some confidence. Are you a fan of the mantra? I am a fan of the mantra when it's important to some, if it's just a a random quote that somebody pulls out of the blue 
and it doesn't have any meaning, like there's no structure behind it for that person, there's no substance behind it for that person, then I'm not a fan of it. If it's, but if it's something that that person values, you know, if it's something that fits into their values and I'll have conversations with athletes about, you know, what's important to you, what motivates you and finding something that fits that feeling of what they value as an athlete or as a person, then I'm okay with using those mantras. Um, otherwise I'll really help them try to build that behavioral momentum where they are telling themselves, you know, they're kind of being their own hype man in the middle of a race and not necessarily stressing themselves up, but just using their self-talk as a way to be encouraging to them, you know, and trying to build themselves up into that last mile or that last 800 where they really just have to be number one, enjoying that, that feeling of suffering because we all run for a reason. And part of that is just that feeling of overcoming that long suffering and number two helping them understand that those final moments or those final minutes of a race can really affect your entire week Mm -hmm. so if you can enjoy those last two to three minutes of a race you know mentally that's going to help you stay consistent that's going to help your motivation instead of just saying oh i tanked out and just didn't have it during the last part of the race I couldn't agree more on the mantra part of it's got to resonate with you. It is. Yeah. It's it's kind of frustrating when I, I see a lot of athletes, like I, I asked them, like, if, is there a mantra that you use? And some of them might say something as superficial and vague as I got this. And this can be effective. However, I think there needs to be, it needs to stand for something. The, I got this needs to have some background of, I got this because I put in all this work. I, I see the data of how well I was racing and I feel I've been feeling great because of all my journal reflections. That's when the mantra becomes effective. But if you don't have anything to back up a mantra with evidence, why you should feel why you, why you got this, then yeah, it's not going to do anything. So I think it's important to workshop a mantra. And like you said, if you have, if it feels empty, then it's not going to, it's not even worth training. You got to have something that resonates with you. And, and the mantra can also go back to, to something about form or something that I want to talk to you right now is about confidence. So a confidence anchor, I think, is also really important when inevitably a mental obstacle every single athlete faces is lack of confidence. And we're, we've been talking about confidence here and there, but a, a few specific examples that you can really just remind yourself of in the middle of a race to boost confidence is something like prior races, prior experiences, all the training you have put in that can feed your confidence and remind yourself, no, there is... There is concrete evidence and proof why I should feel more confident than I am feeling right now. And a lot of times you just want to have those anchors set before the race so that you know what you're going to be reminding yourself of when you inevitably hit that moment of not feeling your best. Do you use something similar to this with your athletes? Social proof is huge. And sometimes even just modeling that social proof in a session where you know, you're helping your athletes of just saying, hey, here's the growth that you've had in the last three weeks. Do you see that in yourself? And then helping them try to build that feeling or that sensation of like, oh yeah, I am confident. And then trying to mold some, like a mantra or an image off of that. I think that's super powerful. Uh, But I'll work from the ground up with athletes like that, like probably pretty much every day. Yeah, confidence is something, it's not something you just train once every couple every now and then 
It's something yeah. that if you work on it every day through a variety of exercises, that's how you can feel confident when the pressure's on. And maybe you're not feeling confident. You have the actual ways and skills to, to get into that mindset more easily. Mm-hmm. Another anchor I wanted to talk about is your why. So why you got into this, why you're doing this. A lot of people lose sight of that foundational reason that they're doing what they're doing, why they're pushing themselves through this. And a lot of the times this can be really relieving to think about. And, and a lot of times it can be shifting from external extrinsic focus to internal because the why is all about within you and nobody can take that away from you. And it's not usually about beating other people or PRing. It's usually about, I do this because I, I love it and it's, I like being healthy and all this other stuff. Um, can you yeah. maybe speak on creating an anchor around someone's why? I like to take it one step further and add it to their super why. So the super why is the value that they find behind the motivation. Like, you know, if running's important to you, why is it important to you? Why is that important to you? You know, and really helping them create this like feeling of like, like what does motivation actually feel like at me? It's not just being anxious and doing something out of fear. It's no, I actually really enjoy this because joy is a, a trigger for flow. It helps someone stay present. It helps them, it helps their reduced, uh, their RPE, it lowers their RPE when they're present and when they're there. So that's where I really go with motivation. It's not necessarily a reductionist approach. It, it's helping them just be there in the moment and just say, oh yeah, this is really fun. I find joy in this. Yeah. It's not reductionist to me because you're just kind of getting at more the more bedrock values yeah. that are in a way more tangible and more powerful because it's... <laughs> Again, it's that bedrock. It's that foundation of what you're doing that can be, it's not fleeting. It's uh, exactly. it's so solid and that's why it's reliable. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. Are there any other anchors that you want to touch on that you can, that you recommend athletes focusing on to reframe? I think athletes need to find, at least to start, I think just building the basic level of awareness. Yeah. And I think from there, the anchors will, they'll just come naturally, uh, but they have to stay consistent with it. So I would say consistency is a very powerful anchor that people don't take for granted because they always want that that 1% thing. But the reality is this is part of the 99% of work that they're putting in beforehand. Yeah. Anything else you want to touch on in talking about the sports psychology of mid-race mental skills? I think the one thing that I'll say is that when you find a skill that works for you, you're going to know. And it's going to be, if you want to talk about having a breakout race, you're going to, the mental skills that are going to be important for you are the ones that you use during that breakout race. And the reality is you're not always going to have a breakout race. You might, you know, you might be able to just keep the ball rolling, but finding those little things that even if it is just a tweak in your own internal dialogue, or even if it is just fine, you know, changing your focus, they're powerful. And when you feel that power, you're like, Oh my gosh, this is, you know, I've never ran this way before in my life. I just, I can speak to, you know, when something's working for you and you can feel that empowerment and how it lifts you up and fills you with this optimism and confidence and, it makes it easier to kind of keep using it. And um, yeah. And so great, great point of like, you got to try a lot of different stuff and 
that's why, again, why I love journaling. Like there's a lot of kind of different tools you want to try out and record the data on and figure out which one is resonating with you. And, um, but I do think at the end of the day, it's going to be kind of obvious when you find something that is going to be one of your more reliable and consistent tools. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right, Ryan, thank you so much for coming on. This is a lot of fun. Where can people reach out to you or follow along with what you're doing? Yeah, I think my my primary website is www.perseveranceperformance.com. Um, I'm also, uh, I, I guess I can talk about this now. I've been also working with a, another group, another startup called GoWFO, and I'll be doing a podcast there uh, probably in the next couple of months here called Rising Action. And it's not specifically running oriented. It's more focused on extreme and adventure athletes that produce a lot of content and they're focused on, you know, that podcast is focused on the motivation behind their story. Like why are they, you know, kind of going into why they're telling their story and like these bedrock history, athletic history, personal history for these guys that are pushing the limits. Like why do they want to tell the plot in their videos and their photos that they are? Um, and that's going to be on gowfo.com. So Perfect. All right. And I'll include links in the description. So those are just a click away. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. All right. Thanks again, Ryan. Yeah. Thanks for having me. This was awesome. Stay up to date with the podcast by following the sports psychology of on your podcast platform and see short highlights from every episode on Instagram. If you want to start working on your mental game, try out one-on-one -on -one sports psychology coaching with me by visiting my website, zelicoperformance.com and schedule a free intro call where we'll discuss your goals obstacles to success, and determine if we'd be a good fit to move forward. You can also email me directly at gabriel at zelicoperformance.com regarding private coaching or the podcast. Links to social media, my website, and email are all in the description. Thank you for listening.